And there's so much like, oh, use these like five hooks or use these like two tips or one strategy. Like at the end of the day, it's still storytelling and, and problem solving that is the reason that your ads are gonna convert. Like if you think back to any ad that has made you buy or just like not even made you buy, just made you click through uh, to the website and, and made you interested. It's not because like it's got a TikTok style hook. It's not because it's got like a cool transition or effect, like any of that stuff. Like, yeah, that stuff might help you get you to the dance, but the actual reason that you click through and then you went on to buy is because it solved the pain point that you have. And I think that's something that lost, that's lost in a lot of uh, the content that you see out there today. And it's really what we try and implement in our ads. Hey, welcome to episode 12 of Ecom Life with me, Phil Keel. Today is a little bit of a special episode. My first interview on the podcast. My guest is Alex Cooper. He is the founder of Oasis Growth. They are a ads and performance UTC agency. Alex is based in London, although soon he's going to be going to Cape Town for the winter. So that's exciting. You'll be able to hear more about that on the show. Let's get into it. Whereabouts are you, Alex? Are you in London? I'm London-based. However, um, I'm a bit of a sun chaser. So uh, next Wednesday, I'm heading out to Cape Town for the winter. Cool. Is is that something you do quite often? Uh, so I did it last year for the first time. And um, yeah, I loved it out there. I'm only meant to spend a month out there. Ended up spending seven months. So uh, it's a pretty cool place. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. That's the first time I've heard of anyone... Um, like digital nomad going going that direction. I know most people go to like Bali and yeah. Yeah, I see. Here's the thing. I don't know about like the whole nomad lifestyle. Like if I I would only I can only do like maximum two bases. And even if I even if I'm am I am moving between the two bases, I always have to spend like a minimum of three or four months there at a time. Otherwise, I just I can't travel to a country for two, three weeks, get my head down and do deep focus work. It, it's just too difficult for me. Um, so I try and keep it to two bases and then that way I get the, the best of both worlds in, in terms of the weather, so yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So what, what changes when you're out there? Obviously the weather's better, but do you do you work shorter days? Yeah. Uh, no, nothing, like pr- pretty much the, the, same, uh, the same as it is over here, just with nice and weather. And, and Cape Town's a, a cool city in the sense that it's like three cities in one, you know, it's like a, you, you get like the Miami vibes because it's a beach. You can get the inner European city vibes if you go into, into uh, central Cape Town. And then you can get like the Midwestern mountain vibes. It, it, it's a very unique place. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Cool. Looking forward to, yeah, I'll, I'll keep an eye on your, uh, your Twitter. Hopefully you put some content on there. Yeah, uh, I, I try to keep it value-based, but sometimes I, I slip in the quicker uh, dinner by the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 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 live living the living the dream. Uh, dinner by the sunset with the with the car behind you, sort of vibe. Yeah, trying, mate, trying. Hey, I um I, I haven't got the chance to congratulate you in person yet for the um, performance marketing agency of the year award. That was sick, man. Thanks. Cheers, Alex. Yeah, that was. Um... It was a surprise. We, yeah, we ended up getting two awards on that night. Um, I think one award would have been amazing, and then we, yeah, when we ended up getting the second one, it was pretty, uh, yeah, surprising is the word. Really? You've been doing this for a while, and I, 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 I think you're very well respected in the space. I mean, I've been following your content for what, like 12, 18 months now. So, yeah, cheers, that, that was Alex. Awesome. 
Yeah, now that means a lot. I, I think, yeah, there's probably two things there. I think um, we could probably go deep. I think you're probably your own worst critic a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And then also... Uh, there were some like really big agencies that we were up against that have been going for right. like 10, 15, 20 years. You know, they've got like offices all around the world. So we, we felt like the small fish in the big pond. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So disruptor agency. That's what we're now, that's what we're now doing. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. what, what's, what's the day job look like then, Alex? You're, you're primarily focused on ads, performance, creative. That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we came up as a, as an, a Facebook and Instagram ad agency uh, at about the same time you saw thousands of other Facebook and Instagram agencies uh, in like 2015, 2016. And then uh, around the same time as, I'd say just before the pandemic, uh, I foresaw the movement away from uh, the technicalities of media buying being like the most important lever that you can pull in the ad account and towards creative being a very important lever for a lot of brands. Um, And that's when we started to dabble into UGC and performance content. And what's that? Like, damn, that's over two years ago now. Crazy. Uh, So we've we've had the chance to work with like literally hundreds of influencers. Um, Don't get me wrong, we've had to kiss a lot of frogs. Uh, but now we've got to the point where like, we've got a very solid list of creators that we work with. We know how to produce authentic, like, good quality, uh, not just UGC ads, but performance content in general. Cool. Love that. Do you think what, what's been the bit that sort of made like the process easier for you? Is it finding the right people? Is it like, you guys getting better at the process? I think... Um, Definitely having the right creators that you're working with. I think something that a lot of um, agencies don't get right is is the the briefing stage and uh, like because we have copywriters work on every single video that we do um, and and sometimes like we work with a creator who we're, we're happy to be more hands off with and and let them do it themselves. Sometimes uh, we literally write out the scripts for them um, and, and I think that. Another thing that's, that's kind of lost uh, when you see like a lot of the, the content about um, performance creative and, and, and ads in general is that there's so much like, oh, use these like five hooks or use these like two tips or one strategy. Like at the end of the day, it's still storytelling and, and problem solving that is the reason that your ads are going to convert. Like if you think back to any ad that has made you buy or just like not even made you buy, just made you click through uh, to the website and, and made you interested. It's not because like it's got a TikTok style hook. It's not because it's got like a cool transition or effect, like any of that stuff. Like, yeah, that stuff might help you get you to the dance, but the actual reason that you click through then you went on to buy is because it solved the pain point that you have. And I think that's something that lost, that's lost in a lot of uh, the content that you see out there today. And it's really what we try and implement in our ads. Got it. So rather than sort of looking for that quick win, what's the latest TikTok hook that I can just copy and paste? It's actually going back to more sort of like marketing principles. Yeah. Yeah. But of course that stuff's not going to get like a thousand likes on Twitter, right? Because if, if I say that, no one cares. If I say like, here's 10 TikTok hooks that you can use, that'll go and pop off. And everyone will be like, yeah, this is great content. This is going to help me improve my ad. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, but it, it's the same principles that have always worked, will always work. Good storytelling, 
find a, a, a problem and, and, and present your product as, as the solution. Yeah, love that. Do you guys do the media buying as well, or, or is it just solely now creative production? Yeah, we do have a, um, a media buying arm. We do still run accounts on TikTok and Facebook, uh, but I'd say our, our bread and butter is creative and performance creative. Yeah, cool. Do you um, so? Do you provide creative for accounts that you don't uh, media buy on as well? Someone else does the media buying. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. So, uh, just over half of our business is like brands coming to us and say, like, yeah, we need month content for us to test inside the account. Um, so we're we're providing that to them, and then uh, about twenty five percent of it is full service, like Facebook and TikTok, mm-hmm. um, and content on top of that. And then the rest is like white labeling work for agencies. Cool. Oh, right. Yeah. So you've got a nice sort of uh, d- d- multiple revenue arms for for a good like agency model there. That's great. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's taken quite a while to find out what we're what we're best at and um, uh, how you know, how I'd like to take the agency going forward. Yeah. Cool. Do you? Um, so we yeah we've we've done a, a little bit of content for. Mm-hmm other media buyers and i've i think i may maybe it's because um the majority of our time is spent on the media buying when Mm -hmm. we've just provided the content for someone else to do the media buying i've sometimes felt that uh like they haven't used that creative in the right way in the ad account or they haven't tested it the right way have you ever experienced that sort of that friction That's that's a great question um and that was one of our pain points uh, when we were starting out, that we were producing these ads, but they weren't necessarily being used properly or tested as rigorously as I would want them tested if I was running the account. Um, so what I would encourage anyone, like if anyone is, is providing content services and, and not in charge of the media buying um, of the account, you need to be scheduling like regular catch-ups with either the media buyer or some contact at the brand who knows what's going on in the account What's performing? What's not performing? What do we need to generate more hooks, more variations of? And what do we need to stay away from? Because like how many times we've been, well, we were on monthly deals at the start and um, we go ahead and, and, and plan our content and then we get feedback like from one of these checking calls say, oh yeah, by the way, this angle work and this angle is completely tanking. Because instantly like, you never know. Like I'm sure you're aware of Phil. We, we create like some ads that we're, we're super, super proud of. And then we give them to the media buyers like, no, it's completely tanked. And that one that took you like 30 minutes to put together. Yeah, that's our best performer. So um, yeah, it is a weird one, but you need to be having those performance check-ins to uh, continuously optimize. Otherwise, you know, like, I, what's the point of uh, continue, continuously work on the creative if you're not yeah. going to use the data that you're getting? Yeah, because otherwise there's a, there's a, it's not a close, it's, it's it's not a full loop then, is it? The, the, the data's just staying in the ad account and not, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's been one of the, uh, one of the common traits that I've seen in successful brands that we've worked with because we work with brands who hand it over to us we work with brands that like have their media buying and creative team in-house it seems like the ones that are doing it best are the ones who have got their their media buying team their creative team and their customer service team like all of those there's a continuous feedback loop between the three of them and they're all providing like learnings that they're seeing and then feeding that back into the creative strategist because when you have all three of them siloed that's when you just end up like wasting money on content because you're not taking in the, like I said, the, the, the feedback loop. 
uh, yeah. should be put in place. I I appreciate the fact that you said customer service team there because I think it's something that we do um, subconsciously, but I don't I, I don't think we sort of align it in the strategy, which is that idea of you know you've got all the data in the world in the ad account, uh, but sometimes the best place to look to see what's working is reading the comments on the oh, ads mate. and that can just be like an eye opener like I, I quite often I'll, I'll be like okay so what, what's going on in this ad account why isn't this working or you know why is this working read the comments and it's some you know someone spotted something obscure in the creative that I didn't realise or and, and that's what's disrupting the performance or that's what is working uh, yeah I love that oh mate I can't tell you how many like really really great angles or like golden nuggets that we've got from like ad comments customer reviews competitor reviews like going on amazon and like sometimes we'll literally just go and filter like filter out the five stars and the one stars to get rid of the anomalies and just look for like the two to four stars then meaty reviews and then you look through them you get some like absolute golden nuggets that I, I could sit here with my content strategist for 10 hours and we wouldn't be able to draft something this good Mm. I um we used to run an ad account maybe like like two three years ago so well before iOS fourteen so we still had you know twenty eight day click data and and all that and yeah. the uh the the client at the brand like knew how to media buy so we were you know constantly chatting about you know technical stuff and his sort of like benchmark of whether the ads were performing or not was how many comments he was getting every day and. You know, if if comments started to go quiet, he'd phone me up and he'd be like, "Phil, I can sense it. The comments are starting, are stopping. Something needs to happen." So, it, like, it was almost like not looking at the data would mm. tell us if it was working or not. Yeah, yeah. I guess sometimes it's it's like as media buyers and marketers, we want to be so quantitative and and like analyze the data and break it down and sometimes it is the qualitative stuff that you need to if not focus on you at least need to take it into perspective when you're making decisions yeah because i think it is something that we forget is is like you know if um every purchase is a person and that person like made a conscious decision to go go ahead and check out or not check out and they'll leave like footprints in the comments about you know why they did purchase or why they didn't purchase so yeah, yeah, spot on. So what's um so a bit a bit of value, what's working right now for you? So like August, September twenty twenty two, what what's what's like where's the focus for you guys? Okay, so uh there's a couple of different ways to to play this. I'll touch on uh ads first and then I'll talk about what's working in terms of creative. Um and, and and obviously you'll be able to speak to me, speak to the uh, speak to both of these two. The uh, on the ad side, we are seeing a bit of a resurgence in uh, whitelisting over the last month or two, um, both on Facebook and TikTok. So whitelisting on Facebook and and Spark ads on TikTok used to be um, start of the year we were seeing like uh, better results from uh, from Spark ads and, and whitelisting, even though. The CPMs were higher, and the click-through rates. The CPMs were higher, sorry. Um, and then we went through a period where, like, like loads of our accounts, like April, May, June, um, were uh, the Spark ads were just becoming too expensive, and it was better better to run through the brand accounts. Um, recently, we've been doing like eighty percent of our content through uh, whitelisted 
ads and it seems to be working well for us at the moment. Uh, and also, of course, custom built landing pages um, for every brand that we work with. So um, taking your bestseller, building a lander that's something like a, a listicle, a quiz, um, but just having something before you send them to the product page because it's, as we know, it's, it's, it's difficult to take someone from cold, send them straight to a product page because the product page isn't built for someone who's coming off of a cold ad, right? So building these landing pages that almost kind of pre-frame them and then um, they can go through to the, uh, to the product page and, uh, and check out after. Um, on the creative side, this is more like a, not as important because I that goes back to what I was saying earlier about having certain uh, hooks that we, that we use, but we've seen a, a really good uh, success with um, like satisfying and unique clips to use them as hooks like taking your product and just doing something a bit like strange with it. Like, for example, we had one uh, that I posted on Twitter the other day where it was a, a pair of jeans was the product. And um, the, we're trying to emphasize the fact that the jeans are super stretchy. So he puts a, our creator puts a, a carton of milk down his trousers, down his pants, and then he pulls them out and he goes like, I think it was like, oh, I just got caught in 4K. I was like, yes, this is me with a, with some milk down my pants. And there's just like little things like that. Something funny, something weird that's going to make the the scroller like double take and go, oh, wait, hang on a second. Did I really just see that? Just something something a little bit like quirky. And sometimes what we'll do is like when we're working on a new account, we'll obviously, we'll send out product to creators to create videos. I like to send out product to like one specific creator and just ask for a load of different b-roll hooks for us to, to to use across the ads and um it's, it's just stuff like that i just say look have fun with it do something creative go wild and anything that doesn't look good will just cut out anyway um and so like using little things like that and, and getting these satisfying like unique kind of uh videos has tended to work better at least on the uh, on the hook rate and, and i know that doesn't necessarily mean that the ad's going to perform better just because i've got a better hook rate but at least it does get more eyes on the rest of the ad and then it's the, it's the rest of the video's job to, to go and convert. Um, like I said, I'm not really, I'm, I'm not really a fan of saying like this, like this hook is working for me right now. This, this thing is working for me right now. Uh, on a more macro basis, I think uh, what's going to work going forward in UGC and performance content in general is storytelling because it has always worked and it will, will always work. And where I see like the next micro variation of uh, performance content going is improved uh, video editing. And once again, this is like secondary to storytelling and having a conversion focus ad because that's always gonna be first. But one thing that we've been using uh, a lot recently in um, in our editing is we've, we've been using inspiration from um, uh, Mr. Beast and his shorts. And um, the way that he, like studying the way that he captures attention, the way that he keeps it, like, I, I can't remember who it was that coined this term. Uh, I was listening to a podcast like a few months ago and someone said like the, the heartbeat method and I tried to research it and I couldn't find anything uh, about it online. So I just kind of took it to the team and I just bounced the idea off them. Basically, every single, like uh, the length of a heartbeat, so like one, two seconds, every single heartbeat in your ad, something should be happening. So like a cut or a transition or a sound effect or like a zoom, like something, some little edit 
that's just going to keep the audience engaged. Because if you have a clip that's on there for too long, three, four, five seconds, people are going to get bored and they're just going to click off. So really implementing that into our ads and um, keeping people engaged has done uh, a good job for our watch times. Cool. And is that what, are you seeing that trend in Mr. Beast's like short content that you put out? Yeah, we, we study a lot of his shorts um, and, and I've listened to a couple of podcasts. Um, he did Joe Rogan. He did um, a couple of other uh, like smaller podcasts where he went in depth on his um, on his strategy and, and, and how he goes about capturing and keeping people's attention and just having a load of those and taking those principles and applying them to uh, our content. And, and once again, storytelling and conversion focused ads is always going to be the 80 20 but then underneath it there's all these little things and i think that improved video editing is one of the next like micro variations as to how we can all improve our performance content over the next like six 12 months yeah so rather than it being like a hack or a fad it's more of a like just the technical upskilling that everyone does and then that's almost like the norm for for that for that process to happen when we're putting out content yeah absolutely like no one did no one did ugc back in like 2016 2017 now if you're not at least testing it then you're probably you're probably missing out um and, and i see the same thing being like 12 24 months time in the same way that like no one did these alex hormozy style like mr beast youtube shorts now you can't scroll through youtube shorts or tiktok or instagram reels without seeing them everywhere I just think that that's going to become the standard for performance content. Mm. Love that, and it's definitely it's it's a it's a leveling up of the platform, which can only benefit the platform, the users, the media buyers, rather than taking advantage of the platform, which unfortunately marketers generally do. You know, let's try and you know uh, hack the platform to get you know the most click through, the best click through rate served the most, the most impressions, those sort of things. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. It's like, it's in everyone's best interest to make better ads. It's better for, it's better for us. It's better for uh, Facebook and TikTok. And then obviously better for the end user because, uh, well, they're going to be have, having their problems solved uh, by products that they need to have in their hands. So yeah, I just yeah. see that, that that is the way it goes forward. Love that. And without it being sort of, manipulative content or anything like that which you know hooks or something like that could potentially go down the route of couldn't it yeah i saw a conversation the other day on twitter that was like um basically saying that it doesn't matter what your hook is as long as it as long as it stops someone in their scroll and uh I, whilst like i can see where they're coming from because like what i just said i i said like take something unique or weird about the products it's got to be at least loosely related to the customer the product or the problem that you're solving otherwise it feels like a bit of a bait and switch and if i saw something like that on my feed and then i was like something i don't know like uh barry barry hot um the other day he was i think the example he used is like yeah if i if i uh did a video of me in a bikini uh dancing that would probably get quite a high hook rate but then who's going to stay around to to convert off the back of that so yes um there is value in do something weird funny um, and, and like something satisfying about the about the product, but it has got to be at least loosely related. Otherwise, like that's not marketing. Then you're just trying to scam people into watching the rest of the video. Yeah, 
I appreciate that. I've there's been a, like a tweet or a LinkedIn post floating around in my head for for a, a couple of weeks, and it's one of our methods is like following the spend in the ad account. So if the platform wants to spend on an ad set or an ad, the majority of the time it's probably getting it right, especially on Facebook over TikTok. Um, yeah. One, uh, I wanted to put something out which is around like uh, when's when you shouldn't do that, when you shouldn't follow the spend. And so far, I've got two examples. One of them was, and they're both like images, so they're not. It's not video. It hasn't got a hook rate or anything. It's both, they're both video, uh, images. One of them is for like a Nutella type product, and it was um, you can like eat it off an apple or a banana. And so they had this photo of a banana with like this Nutella type product being squoze onto the banana. Oh, no. And, like, it looked a bit weird, but uh, and it, it worked okay on their Instagram. And then we put it put it out, and obviously all the spend went straight to it. And it wasn't for like a week. We checked the comments, and all these comments were like, you know, what is this? You know, mm. talking about what the image looked like. So obviously we removed that. And then there was another image recently, which is um, for an event where people get dressed up and... One of the photos had a group of people dressed up in costumes, and there was a guy dressed as a girl. And then, obviously, there was it, it, it. The algorithm had started to focus on people who'd commented on that ad, and obviously, there was a lot of people who were uh, like against cross-dressing. But it was right. some a man being dressed as a woman as a, in a female costume as a joke, and obviously, that had then overfocused on people who engaged with that content in the bad way, in a bad way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean how do you how do you predict that when you're putting that together? Like how can you how can you forecast for that? I mean we've seen a trend now which is like Yeah, I mean it comes back to I suppose will anyone have an issue with this content? Probably at some point every piece of content you put out someone could have a problem with it. Yeah. But and I, yeah. And I guess it also um it, it, it also depends on how edgy the brand that you're working with wants to, like how, how they want to be portrayed in their messaging. Like that example that I gave earlier about the perfect gene, if you look at their ads, like they're all like that. They're all funny, making jokes um, and, and a very humorous angle. Um, whereas other brands that we work with, I, I wouldn't dream of doing something like that. So I guess it, it all depends on understanding the client, the client that you're working with and how uh, they want to be perceived in their, in their tone. Yeah, I, 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 we've never sort of like coined it in the in the onboarding phase with a new client, but there's definitely this period in like the first month where, you if they haven't got a solid you know um, brand guidelines or like tone of voice book, which most new brands don't because you know uh, they probably don't need them, but uh, you're in in that first month where you're sort of trying to test the boundaries, you know, what sort of copy do you like, what sort of imagery do you like, and it's quite. It's almost like a like a it's like a new couple living together for the first time. Yeah, you know you're in each other's space. How are you gonna get on? Yeah, one hundred percent. I think actually a lot of times, like uh, advertising agencies that they want to jump straight in and start running the ads, uh, there really is when you're taking on a new brand a lot of upfront work that needs to be done in terms of learning the brand. Uh, what angles are working, what angles aren't, and, and how you're really going to go about like thinking about the strategy, how are we going to advertise this brand, how are we going to grow this account over the next like, 12, 18 months, rather than, okay, new brand signed on, put them through a five-step onboarding form, and then we'll start the ads on, on Friday. Yeah, I know 
I think most agencies or freelancers probably make that mistake in the early days where you want a new client is showing some, you know, a new lead is showing like they're going to close and, and you say, okay, how long, how quickly can you start the ads? And you might say, mm-hmm. you know, this week, seven days when actually like, yeah, that's the wrong thing to say most of the time. Mm. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's an interesting one because you want to, you want to learn the brand. You want to know, like I, I'll phrase it in the way that yes, we might take 14 to 21 days to get the ads up and running. But um, what this is going to do allow us to do is is get in a position where we really understand the brand and, and how you want to uh, market this going forward and come up with the strategy as to how we're going to advertise this thing, not just for the next couple of months, but how we're going to do this for the, for the long term, for the next 12, 24 months and beyond. Yeah, because if, if like the next 30 days, if, if the success of that is being defined by like a five day onboarding period, then it's like a flip of the coin on whether it's going to work or not, isn't it? Rather than, you know, laying the foundations. Yeah. And I guess that also comes back to the expectations that, that you set. Like, uh, do, do the client know that they're in it for, like, are they in it for the long haul or are they in it because they need a 3X ROAS in the next 90 days? And if they are, then is that a brand that you should really be bringing on board? Hmm. I think that that's a tough question and maybe one for another episode. Because, yeah. yeah, yeah, we could go into mate, we could go into like two, three hours on that, but um, yeah, yeah, I digress. So, what's um, last question? What's something that you're either like personally or from the agency point of view? What's what are you trying to improve on at the moment? Yeah, um, I, I've always been of the mindset that um, you focus on one thing and you do it really well. So. My focus for at least the next two to three years is going to be growing this agency to as big as I can get it, um, uh, to turn it into a, a seven, possibly an eight-figure agency and, and focus on just offering the best creative to our clients that we can. Um, that's our one thing. That's where I think we've got a competitive advantage. Um, and, and that's what I'm going to be doing. In terms of like what we're doing, what, what we're cooking up right now, there's a couple of interesting things. Um, this is actually an exclusive feels. I haven't, I haven't even talked about this on Twitter yet. Um, but I'm going to write like a big thread over on this over the next couple of weeks. We've been testing a bit of AI in UGC. Yeah. Uh, and I, I have yet to conclude what my thoughts on it are at this point, but to elaborate on that, what we've been doing is. Well, actually, I'll give you a quick backstory. We signed on with a with a, a cold email agency like at the start of the year, and uh, they they said to me like, "We're going to make you these personalized Loom videos uh, that you can send out to prospects, and you only have to record it once, and it will send it out like personalized uh, to every single prospect that you reached out to." I was like, oh, "Okay, that sounds kind of interesting. Tell me more." So it turns out they were using a software that uh, allows you to like record one Loom video, which is basically your sales pitch, and then you could like the AI would overdub your your voice onto uh, the video to each person you sent out to. So let's say you upload a spreadsheet of like a thousand names, it would like hi Phil, the next one would be hi Alex, etc. Go down. So. Um, it, they worked pretty well. <laughs> and I thought to myself, um, is there any way that we could implement this into content? Uh, this was only a few weeks ago. 
So I signed up to the software. The software is called Descript, but I'm sure there's there's a lot of ones out there that can do the same thing. And what we've been testing is creators that we've been working with. Now, I don't know how good their, their ability is to uh, replace like video. So if I'm saying this right now, how could you change like my, my lips to, to, to look like it was saying, I was saying something, but they're very good at like, you can very easily interchange audio. So if I had a UGC script where I was like, okay, um, this is a, a, an amazing microphone um, and, I, and I went into the script and then I just changed the words around and I was like, this microphone uh, has saved me $500, whatever. And I just typed that in and I click overdub, then it would now provide me an alternative voiceover where uh, I've now got the different variations. Obviously this could be huge if it works with um, with performance content because then like basically you could produce almost unlimited voiceovers and uh, and variations of your ads at very little and very little uh, time cost and, and no extra content cost. I, I guess then the conversation becomes how integrated do we let AI become inside of content and where is like the where is the ethical line that we're going to draw? Yeah, that's very that's really really interesting. I appreciate you sharing that. The, um, I suppose you would want that base unit to be the best base unit that you've ever got, and then yeah. layer on the the variations, the variables, the testing on top of that. That's correct. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, I think I saw the thread that was it. You, did you share Jess the fire team's thread? Yeah, yeah, the base unit. That was that was a really nice thread. I'd, I'd recommend people going checking that out. Um, yeah, we're gonna start implementing that too. But we've got, we've got the same kind of systems already. But you're just producing like a base of content, like a, a great uh, advertisement that includes like every aspect that you'd want in in a, a UGC or or a performance creative ad, um, and then layering like different angles as hooks on the top of that. Impressive. Yeah, you can. I, when when you well, first of all when you said AI. The when uh, obviously there's a lot of like AI content on Twitter at the moment, but it's mostly like images, you know, like yeah, paintings that have been done from you know AI platforms. So I I've immediately thought you were talking about like image and video. I imagine uh, it's yeah. I mean that sort of stuff is around, isn't it, with the whole um like Tom Cruise thing where they what's that called? Uh, it's like the fake celebrities don't need deep fake. That's deep fake. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the one, um, what was that guy, that Kurt Skelton uh, story? Did you hear about that? Oh, that was crazy. No. So this was, this, well, it, it, it is loosely related. So there's this guy called Kurt Skelton, right? And uh, he's on TikTok. He, he builds his profile to like 100K on TikTok. Normal guy. And then he creates a, um, a video that, that, like he has some custom, like v, VFX. He's a VFX editor. And then the video is like, uh, Kurt Skelton is not actually a real person and then it blurs into uh, a video of his girlfriend saying like I created Kurt Skelton by using AI and then she does a, a super believable tutorial on how she created uh, Kurt Skelton her boyfriend um, it gets like 17 million views it goes viral on TikTok then people are going like all up into his past videos going oh my goodness I can't believe this is fake they're going to his Instagram see pictures of his girlfriend like there is no way you can be fake and he looks super real because he's a real person <laughs> but now everyone thinks that he's AI generated and um yeah it's just a crazy story and, and people still think he's not real but he's actually real because they found out or he did an interview and uh they they found out that he was actually posting before the the software that she said that she created on was founded 
But that was a super interesting video. Even though he's not actually created by AI, I really don't think it's that long until something like that is possible. Yeah. I love that story. I'm going to have to look about that. It's almost like a, like deep, deep fake, isn't it? It's like it's deep fake, but it's not actually, it's actually real. Like that's... Oh, yeah. so believable as well. Like so believable. They did such a good job of it. And, and it went viral. And now that... Like that's the only video that's gone viral. So I, I it's funny. I, I was literally like about to write a thread on them. And I, I started writing a thread and then I did, I was like, oh, let me do a little bit of extra research. And I found out it was fake and I was completely bummed out. So I couldn't write the thread. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a really interesting story. And like I said, that, that stuff is, is a lot closer than a lot of people think. Yeah. It's the idea of sort of first impressions from fake news. Isn't it enough? This is probably enough for another episode as well. But it's like the you just get one bit of fake news, and then that's what your prejudgment is off that wrong piece of information. Yeah. Yeah, and then what happens when people start to realize that this is happening? Like, what what happens with advertising? Can you trust anything that anyone says if anyone can just type in uh, some words into a keyboard and then they've got an ad that pops up with someone saying that? So um, it's going to be very interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean. I would I would hope that there's there's always been some level of sort of PR in all forms of media, isn't it? Like the news, like not everything is a hundred percent correct. You know, mm-hmm. TV, radio, like like social media isn't the only isn't the first time that uh, fake content has existed. Mm-hmm. So it it's, it'll just be the first time that it's almost uh, more believable than real real world real content yeah yeah so let's uh let's make the most of it while it's not around now <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll i like marketers we'll, we'll ruin it and then and then and then we will you, you can bet yeah. there's one thing that you can guarantee about ai is that marketers will find a way they'll find a way to ruin it yeah we'll probably have like ads rejected in the future for for ai content which might be the right thing when that happens they will appreciate that I mean, here's the thing, like, when there's something so revolutionary like that, how do you even go about regulating it? I don't know. There's probably people on uh, more money than us that need to decide that, so we'll leave that yeah. on to them. <laughs> I think you're right about that. Yeah, cool. Cheers, Alex. Thanks for coming on um, Ecom Life. This has been the first interview ever on the show, so I appreciate that. And uh, I'm sure I think we'll probably have Alex on next time as well for more chatting. Cool. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much, Phil. There we have it. My first interview guest on Ecom Life podcast, Alex Cooper. I really enjoyed it. It sounded like Alex did as well. I'm sure we'll probably get Alex back in the future. There was plenty of topics that we uh, could have spoken about for a lot longer. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you'd like to be on the podcast. Drop me a DM or a email. My link uh, and email are in the show notes. Uh, Yeah, speak soon. Thanks very much.